Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 136. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning into the show. I'm so appreciative that you're here. I hope you're finding some value in this show. Have you heard of my new podcast, the Courageous Leadership Podcast? It's different than this one. It's not an interview podcast. It's just me talking about my leadership philosophies for about 15 or 20 minutes or so. Each episode promises to get into my mindset a little bit more about what I believe in leadership and how it can help you become the courageous, authentic leader that I think we are all meant to become. So go check it out, uh, Courageous Leadership Podcast, and go to iTunes. And just like this one, if you haven't done so, please take the time to enter a rating and review. It does so much for my visibility and to keep that uh, algorithm uh, alive in iTunes so we're more front and center. So again, thanks for all your support. I love continuing getting the emails and your thoughts and ideas on leadership. So please feel free to reach out and connect with me, and I promise I'll get right back to you. So anyway, thanks for all your support, and here's the interview. Well, one of the benefits of uh, this podcast for me is is all the people that I meet, and uh, this one's a true gem. I'm so excited to have it. Chris Taylor on the show. He's the founder of ActionalBooks.com, a company that's dedicated to helping business leaders develop themselves and their teams through the application of lessons from leading business books, one of my passions for sure. Through his work at Actional Books, Chris reads, writes, and speaks a lot. To date, he has published over 150 articles, speaks regularly at both public and private events across North America, and has read more business books than he cares to count. In 2010, he launched Actual Interviews, a video interview series with best-selling business book authors and leading thinkers in the business space. To date, he's conducted 34 interviews for the series, which highlights including Seth Godin, Dan Pink, Sir Ken Robinson, and Gary Vanderchuk. It's through these conversations that Chris has developed the salaried entrepreneur, a team development methodology that's being used internationally by companies large and small. Chris, welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast. Richard, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I'm so glad. You know, our friend Alex Barker, who, whose show you were on, he introduced me to you, and I'm so happy. And again, one of the benefits of doing a podcast is the powerful network that uh, you can grow in such a short amount of time, and that's certainly one of the benefits I've had from this podcast. So I, I hit some highlights from your bio there. So tell us a little bit more about Chris Taylor and how you got started and passionate about leadership. <laughs> uh, trial and error. <laughs> the, I, I was uh, fortunate. Um, I made a ton of business mistakes at a very young age. Um, when I was in college, I uh, was selling knives uh, as a student and uh, did well at it. And so the company actually put me in charge of an office at uh, 22 years old. And by about 22 and a half, I had 140 sales reps who were one of the top productivity offices in North America. Um, everything was going really well. Um, and all that success pretty much went straight to my head. Uh, <laughs> Ego took over, the whole thing crashed and burned, and yeah. I started reading a lot to try to figure out what had happened to this, you know, empire that I'd uh, that I'd grown. Um, and you know, I, I found through the reading that I was doing that there was a lot of 
you know, valuable lessons that I could have taken away. And, and I just also sort of assumed at the time that I only didn't know those things because I was this punk kid. Um, <laughs> when I took a job in the corporate world, I started realizing that no, there were people in their 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond that uh, hadn't learned these lessons either. And that leadership wasn't really that complicated. It was um, just difficult. And to borrow from Patrick Lencioni, um, it's really about entering the danger and, and having being comfortable being messy. And uh, so my passion on leadership grew from there. And when I started interviewing the uh, the authors that you mentioned and and beyond, I think I'm actually up to about 49 now or 49, 50 uh, video interviews. Um, I uh, I just found that you know there was a lot of trends emerging around uh, leadership in the 21st century in particular, and that things hadn't changed necessarily from strong leadership in the 20th century. They'd just gone from a nice to have to becoming increasingly crucial uh, for teams that wanted to thrive. So um, it's been a passion for me for 15 years now and uh, continues to grow every day. Man, you said so many great things in there that I can certainly, that <laughs> resonates with me. And first and foremost, I love what you said about, um, you know, how you're young and you're seeing all the success and, and sure enough, that ego's on your shoulders, you know, whispering in your ear, and the next thing you're set up for is some sort of fall. I think a lot of us have been there. I know certainly I have, and I can certainly relate to that story. I was curious, that knife company, was that Cutco, or is that, uh, what was it? Was it that was Cutco, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, for our American friends in particular, that's uh, it's a well-known name in Canada, still a little less so, but uh, it was Cutco. Yep, I had a good friend that uh, raised or rose to pretty high ranks within that organization, but what a great organization to kind of learn the whole concept of marketing and sales and uh and getting out there and, and getting your brand out there i think it's a great uh a tool for especially for people who have an entrepreneurial mindset and it really targets those young guys so i can relate and i can see how that success could have gone to your head for sure yeah, you know, I think long term, you know, direct sales <clears throat> in general as an industry is, you know, not everyone's cut out for it. And, uh, you know, I, I sort of take some of the, the negative talk with a grain of salt. Um, but I think, you know, if I really believe that anybody at a young age, if they get a chance to experience, um, you know, that sort of reward for effort yeah. model. Um, it's just a fabulous way to to develop that um, those skills, but also the mentality around uh, you know I, I, I keep what I kill sort of thing, and uh, that you know as you say sort of bleeds into entrepreneurship so naturally. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great uh, a great environment, a great place to cut your teeth, if you will, in learning some essential skills that 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 leads into like you said entrepreneurship and even leadership. You know. Um, I, w I was going to say cut your teeth, Richard, but we try to stay away from the cut puns when we work at Cutco. So, so <laughs> Very terrible. good. I just always remember how that, that, that little demo of uh, cutting the penny. Did you ever get really good at cutting the penny or shaving it or whatever? Got, that got really good. You even learned what years of penny were harder to cut. Oh, really? Year, so, uh, absolutely. <laughs> got all the tricks down. That's amazing. You know, I love uh, the fact that uh, you, you started diving in, and I kind of had the same um, kind of uh, – um, awareness or observation when I st really started studying leadership. I, you know, in the pre-interview, I was talking about how, you know, I took it for granted, you know, flying planes. I didn't know when I got laid off uh, after September 11th. I remember thinking, I don't, all I need to do is fly airplanes. And that's when it really hit me. I just assumed that successful businesses, successful organizations, um, successful entrepreneurs, they understood leadership. And that wasn't the case. And, and even after talking in through this podcast over, you know, uh, 14, 15 months now, talking to some people that are very very successful and they struggle with the same things that you and I struggle with is that what I heard you saying when when kind of the, the observation or the awareness that you you discovered uh, once you started diving into these books and interviewing these people 
Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, fundamentally, it comes back to uh, uh, fondly uh, known as uh, hua, which is the people ultimately just want to be heard, understood, and appreciated. Mm. Um, and it's it's not truly a lot more complicated than that. And yet, it's you know, it's easy to say that, but it's quite difficult at the same time, especially when you're when you're a leader, especially when you're a middle manager and you've got the pressures from above and below um, to oh, be yeah. in a position where you are able to take the time and have the focus and the skill set and the willingness to have those tough conversations to show people that they're heard, understood, and appreciated, and we need to make sure that the bottom line's being met, right? And so I think it's it's easy to say and difficult to do. And, and you know, the reason that there's another 7,500 new leadership books published each year right. is because no one's figured out the silver bullet for it yet, nor do I think they will. So I love the, it's like trying to perfect chess, right? It's impossible, but it's there's a fun in the challenge of it. Right? Oh, I love that. And what a great way to look at that. You're absolutely right. And I love what you said too, how... Um, it is. Leadership is so very easy to understand. And to the testament, like you said, 7,500 books a year, what is a silver bullet? There isn't one. But it's just getting back to the common sense and the basics. It's so easy to understand, but it's difficult, like you said, difficult to implement because of, I think for me, courage and authenticity and vulnerability that's required. Why do you think it's so difficult in kind of a nutshell? I would totally agree with those concepts. Um, and I think, you know, the other piece that I'd say to it is that accountability level oh, yeah. of, you know, leadership. I, I, I wrestle with this. This is the biggest challenge that I have is I'm, I consider myself to be pretty good on the inspiration front and the painting the big picture front and the, you know, helping people feel supported front. But when it comes to having those conversations where they're not sort of meeting the standards that, um, that, you know, that they have for themselves and that, that I have for them. Um, that, that for me is the trickiest part yeah. is, is how to enter those conversations and, and not be the bad guy through it. Right. Um, and yet, you know, when I look back on my career and the leaders that I worked for, the ones that I have the most respect for and the ones I learned from most are the ones who were able to hold me to that higher standard. And I look back on those experiences with nothing but respect and appreciation. And yet, uh, it's so difficult to bring it into oh, my, own, isn't that, it my own life and practice. Oh, my God, it is so difficult. And I think you're you're absolutely right. It's so easy to talk about. And we can talk a good game. But, man, when you really kind of... God, there's just example upon example, and I'm sure that you, same with you, where you can just see how much time, energy, effort, and even the outcome uh, was so much worse because we avoided that difficult conversation, right? And, um, oh, it's so difficult. But the brutal truth is what's needed. And... Um, and one thing that helped me, and I kind of started using this technique, was it's kind of like you'd want your wife to tell you if your breath was bad, right? And she's, te- <laughs> you know, she's telling you because she loves you. It's not because she's trying to embarrass you. It's just, you know, that's, that's when you know you've got somebody on your side. Someone's going to tell you your fly's open or your breath is bad or whatever the case may be. And that's kind of how a I great, uh, great metaphor there too, Richard. Cause I mean, I think what I, what I really like about that is that she's not going to stand up at the dinner table in front of 20 and your friends it, exactly. and announce it. Um, and so it's finding those right, the right timing, the right environment, um, to have those conversations as well as the, the brutal truth, right? Exactly. And I think sometimes we make it more, and well, that, that is an excellent kind of case where we make it much more difficult than we have to. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, you know, Gosh, you'd want to be told. How many times? And I know you've probably seen this. I've seen this. In fact, I'm going through even where I work right now. Uh, an example where um, people didn't have the courage to tell the brutal tooth and some truth. And sometimes the person who's offending, they don't know that they're offending, right, or doing something wrong. And then the mm-hmm. next the next conversation they get is legal, which or HR, which drives me crazy. And they're you know, and they're like, what? No one even told me. And what a shame on us as leaders if we're not keeping our people or taking care of our people and, and helping them develop, right? 
Absolutely. The one thing that's helped me um, sort of push through, and it's again, it's never something that you look forward to those conversations. But one of the biggest things was uh, just reminding myself constantly of um, Covey's analogy of the uh, the trust account. Yeah. And how you know if we're supportive and and helping people feel heard, understood, and appreciated, you know, the majority of the time throughout the year, then even if they don't receive that in the best light in the moment, those those tough conversations, um, you've built enough uh, trust, hopefully, that um, that they do come around to realize that after emotions have cleared a little bit. And that that to me really helps me to uh, to push through and just to, to enter those conversations or enter the danger, as uh, Len Chioni says. Yeah. So you're a voracious reader, I take it. I mean, I love reading books. And of course, obviously doing this, these interviews, I've read even much more. And um, I don't know, I just love eating that stuff up. How voracious of a reader are you? Yeah, you know, actual books started um, out of a passion project of mine to when I was trying to sort of recalibrate this uh, cocky SOP that I'd become and <laughs> trying to reconnect with what had led to success originally. I went on this mission of reading a book a week uh, for a year, which was actually a step back from the volume of books that I've been reading previously. Um, my focus, I know 52 still sounds like a lot, um, you know, it's all relative. My focus became on uh, less volume and on more application. Mm. So I've carried that with me for the last seven years where um, I really make a concentrated effort with everything that I read, whether it's a book, an article, a, you know, listen to a podcast. Um, I'm looking for that one, and it could be very small, behavior or attitude change that I can make based on what I'm consuming. Um, you know, I was having a conversation with a guy uh, just a couple of days ago for another podcast about this information overload and how we could literally sit at our desk and just read a Twitter stream all day and, and completely use up our time. Um, you know, I think there's a, there's a certain responsibility that we have to, um, create a diet for what we're reading. And that's not to say cut back, but just to be consciously aware of what we're reading or consuming in general, why we're reading it and how we plan to use that. Um, and if it's recreational, fabulous, it's recreational, but acknowledging the difference between recreational consumption versus um, intentional consumption and, uh, and and really making an effort to, to put them into practice. And I love what you said there, the intentional piece of it. You're right, because we can get, because of the overload, it's so easy to, there's so many... I guess I'd call them time sucks, right? There's so many time sucks out there that can just drag you down that hole in that intentional kind of reflection and marination on some something of value. It does take work. It, it does take some balance and priority, right? I mean, that's that's what life's all about is getting your priorities straight. And um, I think that's part of – that's one thing I've noticed too is I've become more intentional and aware, and I love that you said intentional – I think that's really the key to to um, successful leadership is having, I mean, what does your agenda look like for the day, I guess, really? I mean, when I look yeah. at it, you know, am I waking up and the first thing I'm doing checking Facebook? Mm, maybe not the best thing to do, right? Right. Well, who are your heroes? <laughs> wow. Um, who are my heroes? Uh, from a sort of thought leadership standpoint, um, you know, when I read A Whole New Mind by Dan Pink, um, that I would say fundamentally changed my life. A great book. Um, I think he was 10 years ahead of the curve with that book. And, uh, and keep in mind, it was only written eight years ago. Um, I, I, so I have a tremendous amount of respect for, for Dan and what he thinks. Um, also, uh, Sir Ken Robinson, I mean, I, have a, I don't even have kids yet, but I have a, I have a significant passion for um, what's broken in our education system. And uh, you know, I don't know that there is a perfect solution. It's probably the same thing as trying to be the perfect leader, right? But uh, right. I, I, Sir Ken Robinson and the work that he does uh, really inspires me. And then I have some, some local heroes. I mean, I've got 
Uh, we have a program called the Actionable Consultant Program where we work with independent um, and team uh, consultants and coaches and facilitators that are in their own pocket of the universe, fundamentally working to change uh, the world of work. And, you know, it's, it's going to sound cheesy, but I, I mean, they're what get me up in the morning. Like the, the people that use our material, buy into our philosophies in a way that um, they're working to make a difference in their environment. Um, that they're truly my heroes in the sense that they inspire me more every day than, uh, than anybody else. So I love that. Cue the cheesy music now, but uh, <laughs> that's the truth. Well, I'll, I'll edit some in at that point, but it's like, I like it. But I think, that, I think you're right. I mean, I don't even really want to, oh, I mean, I, I guess I, if you look at my leadership transformation for me, what you're saying resonates with me so well because, you know, it was about the ego and kind of feeding the, the, the inner insecurity. Um, and then now I just want to be around people who do want to change the world as cheesy as that, or cliche that may sound, because that is really the obligation of leadership. I think in our, our opinion, you know, there, there is an obligation associated with it and it has to be about making things better or changing the world. However you put it, I think. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, there's there's a tendency or a natural gravitational pull to when you're in the sort of big L leadership seat, you know, whether that's leading a team or in your case, leading a giant, you know, hunk of steel through the air. Um, there's a sense of power that comes with that, that I think if not sort of tempered or, or thought about intentionally to uh, to borrow your language, um, I, I think it's quite easy and, and sadly quite natural to slide into that that egotistical uh, leadership style. And yet, you know, we look around and the most successful leaders um, we see out there are the ones who, especially in the long term, are the ones who, you know, take that whatever you want to call it, servant-based leadership or level five leadership or, yeah. you know, everyone's got a different name for it, but it's that same mentality, right, which is put others first. Well, it's the etching of character. I mean, and that's the thing that scares me. And I'll be, and I'll be honest with you. I mean, it does scare me sometimes. I think, well, if I because I do like that feeling I get when I move an audience for, from a speech or when I, you know, help a client through a breakthrough or watch them break through on their own. You know, they do the work. But, it, I mean, it, it does feed an ego part. And I think it can be healthy, but it does scare me because I've seen, I've seen the other side of it and what it can do to you. And, it does, and I'll be frank, it does scare me a little bit about myself. Well, you know, I think you just hit on something really important there, though, Richard, which is the, I mean, you, you said it one way and then you said it the other way, right? Saying when I move an audience or when I help someone create that breakthrough, actually, they're the ones creating that exactly. breakthrough. And I think that's the fundamental shift is when we go from, I'm here to help that person. And there's, of course, there's a great sense of satisfaction when you help that person. Um, but when we shift out of the mindset of they did it and I supported them, as opposed to I did it, exactly. right? That's where, great. that's the slippery slope. Yeah, great point. And you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And and learning how to maybe even accept those accolades in a healthy way and understanding, you know, one of my coaches said, look, you know, accept it for what it is. It's a gift, you know, and, and be appreciative of it and then let it go. Right. And then go on to the next thing. And that that's that's how I tend to view those things now. Have you um, have you read uh, Simon Sinek's new book, The Leaders Eat Last? No, I in I've been God, I've been working behind the scenes to to get him on the show to talk about it, and he was like, "Yeah, I think I can." And then I just found out I'm bummed because I just found out two days ago. I was like, "Yeah, Simon's too busy," but here we've got two other guys that that will come and talk about it, which I'll do. But I'm like, "Oh, I wanted Simon," you know, because <laughs> I was watching him talk about that, you know, and. and I, I really wanted to talk to him about it because he spent some time with the Marine Corps and yes. he said some great things about it. And I really wanted to dive in and, 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 and talk with him about it. But so, yes, go ahead. You had a point 
about well, just I mean, two points. I mean, one being the the Marine Corps tie. Um, also, I you know, and he, I, I'm sure he'd be comfortable with saying this. I interviewed him shortly after um, uh, Start with Why came out, mm-hmm. um, and I interviewed him just a month ago in regards to Leaders Eat Last. And um, it's interesting. There's a fabulous talk that he's done that you can get free online called uh, Losing Your Why, mm. and uh, and he talks about an experience of. Uh, going overseas with the Marines and and being stranded um, at uh, camp, um, and I don't I don't remember if it's Kandahar or where he was, but um, but it's it's what's interesting to me is that there was I thought about after getting off the second call with him, I thought you know there's something's fundamentally changed within Simon where I mean he's always been obviously very passionate about uh, his message and about the importance of starting from a, a, a passion and purpose, um, but there's that leadership development that's come about. From this experience, I believe um, being stranded with uh, with the Marines, and and it shines through in this book on Leaders Eat Last. It's it's a fabulous read. I'd highly recommend it to anybody interested in in leadership. I I mean I loved Start with Why when it first came out. I was getting a little tired of it four years later. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally totally refreshed uh, my enthusiasm for for uh, Cynic's work with uh, Leaders Eat Last. I, I think it's great. Yeah, well, it's definitely on my list. I'm, I'm I'm working my way down to it. And yes, I I love his stuff. And I'm and anxious to to see what he says about it. So thank you for the recommendation there. He's great. He's one of my um, kind of heroes from afar, I guess. And that's why someday I'm going to get him on the show. I mean, it's just been a, kind of a logistical challenge to get him on here. But uh, he's so busy. He's a tough guy to nail down. God, if you sure. look at his speaking schedule, it's just like it blows you away. I'm like, oh my god, it's just constant. Yeah. Every other day he's going somewhere. It's a tough life, eh? So talk to me about actionable books. I mean, I love the website. And one thing I've you know, and I'm certainly. Um, I, I love the, the simplicity, the cleanliness of it. And the, but talk to me about the genesis behind actionable books. I mean, it's so exciting. I, I was looking at it earlier today and then, and I signed up myself and there's so many resources and content out there. Talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, you know, I sort of alluded to pieces of it at the beginning. It was, um, I started consuming voraciously. I started trying to apply concepts from the books that I was reading. Um, this mission of 52 and 52 just sounded sort of poetic to me. And so I, I committed to that. I knew that I would never really have the follow through to actually deliver on that unless I had some sort of external accountability. And so what I did was send an email out to about 30 or 40 friends and family. And so look, here's what I'm doing. Um, what I'd ask of you is uh, check out this site. It wasn't even called Actionable Books back then. It was something else. Um, I said, you know, take a look. Every Tuesday, I'm going to put up uh, 800 words, and it's going to have an overview of the book I read, one idea that I'm thinking about applying, and two ways that I'm thinking about applying it. And I don't even really care if you read it, honestly. I just want you to call me out on it if I don't deliver every Tuesday morning. And, uh, and it was interesting because it, it grew pretty quick. It stayed, you know, still small, but it grew well beyond that 30 or 40 people, um, with, you know, other people that were avid readers and really intelligent, high functioning people from all different walks of life. We had everything from, you know, high school students through to 84 year old retirees, uh, you know, teachers, doctors, dentists, and military folk and everyone in between, uh, coming and offering their two cents. And we got this really neat sense of community coming about. So again, I mean, it was just a passion project. It was just a hobby for the first, well, 2007, 2008. And then uh, in 2009, I started having um, leaders of teams ask me for more robust versions of uh, the summaries that I was writing because they wanted to work through the concepts with their teams. And a little bit of the backstory was one of the things that I'd done really well um, while I was running the the Cutco office. In fact, one of the only things that I did well until the end <laughs> was these uh, was these hour long top staff stop, blah, top staff sessions 
where I would take um, 10 or 12 of my top performing reps from the previous week and we'd get together on a Saturday morning for an hour and we'd talk about something completely unrelated to product or sales or contests or any of that stuff. And it was really focused on personal and professional development. And the format that I'd built for it had worked really well um, with these 18 or 19 year olds. And so I thought, well, I don't know, it's worth a shot. I may as well try it for these corporate leaders. And so I started creating what we call now actionable workshops, which were hour long discussion guides, really, for the team leader to grab, learn in 15 minutes and then run an hour long conversation with their staff. Take using one idea from a top business book as the foundation for the conversation, uh, but then really allowing it to go to the needs of the team in that moment. Um, and so that that did really well, really quickly. I mean, people found there wasn't anything really like it out there on the market. We made it very low cost. It remains very low cost. And so it was for the leaders who give a damn is the language that we use on the site. Love it. um, it's for leaders who really care about their people and want to give them more than the carrot or the stick. Man, um, yeah, I love it. I love the idea. I mean, because really, the only thing out there is Soundview you know, that's similar that I can think of. Maybe there's other things, and I'm not trying to bag on sure. Soundview, but it's kind of that it's yours. And, and I'm just being completely frank and honest. Is like you've got that nice, clean, fresh, cutting edge, simple, easy to understand, and it's not that stodgy corporate BS. I mean, and understanding how difficult it is even in large corporate environments to talk about leadership, it's so bureaucratic. They won't really fully, truly understand leadership. You know, I think in that sense that there's still, there's so many opportunities to educate people on leadership and to do simple lunch and learns is, is a great way to kind of, you know, introduce it to the culture. And it's so difficult when you try to find those lunch and learns and find those resources and find those times, it's all the same kind of boring crap. And um, the fact that you're taking actual leadership books out there, there's so much great content Taking the time to summarize it, taking the time and say, here's a quick little package for one hour. You can introduce this to your team. What a great concept. And and I appreciate that you're doing this. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, it comes back to this whole when you do something online, I mean, you expose yourself to the to the universe. Right. And, there, you know, depending on what sites you're on, if you ever look at the comments in a YouTube video, inevitably, there's a million people that are just, you know, sort of bottom feeders of society. (laughs) Um, We're we're really fortunate. It's probably the same with your audience. We just we we deal with the top 10 percent of society. Right. And it's just it's so rewarding. The people that that use the tools our coaches that support the program. We now have I've I've since stopped writing a weekly summary. Uh, I still write, but not as often. Uh, But we have now over 90 volunteers that produce the free summaries that exist on the site. Um, You know, the authors that I get a chance to speak with and uh, and they're giving of their time and um, they're aware of the fact that we're, you know, borrowing ideas from their books for the genesis of these workshops and they love it. It's a really neat um, society or community or tribe, whatever you want to call it, that uh, it's built up around actionable. It's extremely rewarding. Well, and I hope that the listeners out there understand that the, the, the key takeaway what you just said is that there's so much power in the way that we can create communities. There's no better time in the history of the planet where you can do that, where anybody can do that uh, if you're passionate about it and, and you're living proof of that. You know, we talked a little, or I heard you mention a little bit at the beginning about, you know, what are some of the challenges in the, in this century uh, that's different, that's unique? What do you see um, as some of the biggest challenges for us as leaders that we've, that we've got to face that may, may have been different maybe 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm standing on the shoulders of, uh, of giants here. I mean, Steve Shapiro talks about this, Seth, Seth Godin talks about this, and many others. Um, but I, really, we've, we've reached a stage in society where the top 
um, sort of performing companies in the sense that they're delivering what their client wants, whatever that client is, um, have moved beyond a job description or best practice guide. Um, there's still elements of that, obviously, but anytime they're in a customer service interaction, anytime they're faced with something new, which is almost once a week for most people, <laughs> right? Right. Um, it's uh, it's it's not it's not having a rule book to follow because by the time we've actually polished that rule book and printed it, it's out of date. Right. And so the mentality of a thriving team um, is really one of proactive problem solving and collaboration in pursuit of solving those problems. And as a leader of that team, we need to be comfortable moving beyond the command and control. I'll tell you what to do and you do it until I come back and give you something else to do because it's just not physically possible. Forget about the, you know, the, um, the good feelings that come from that sense of autonomy or, or purpose you know, that Dan Pinks talks about. Um, it's just not physically possible for the leader to, to um, deliver clear direction on every single aspect of it. So the shift that's always been a nice to have, but has now truly become essential is the leader needs to create that crystal clear vision of where the team is going, Absolutely. create the values-based sort of sidelines, if you will, to say, you know, we don't step outside of this, but anything inside the field is fair game. There's the goal line. I trust you, I believe in you, go nuts. Let me know when you need help. Um, and you know, I'm oversimplifying a bit, but that's that's the shift that we need to make with uh, with our teams as leaders. Well, I love what you said, and I don't think you're oversimplifying it. Maybe in a sense that, yeah, because it, it came out so fast. But the, the key point <laughs> that that people need to understand is that um, what you just said, and, and and I think this has been an age old problem, but you, but now more than ever, it's more critical. Like you said, is this look as leaders. Um, you know, we always struggle or organizations always struggle with like this idea of strategic, strategic kind of planning and strategic implementation. And, they, you know, you hear those words and you kind of you gloss over and like, what the hell does they mean anyway? Mm-hmm. But what you just said is is at the heart of that and where that strategic implementation, strategic execution and planning all becomes, you know, one and the same thing in that the leader needs to constantly and communicate almost maniacally. Remember, guys, this is where we're going. This is why we're doing what we're doing. You know, what's the purpose? And this is, and what's the outcome? And then, as you said, I trust you. You know, make it happen because I don't know how many times you've been faced with that. Where as a leader, you tried to solve it yourself. The more that you let go, there's people smarter than you, and they're you know, the people that you're accountable for. And, and I, time and time again, I've been blown away at the outcomes whenever I did that. Whenever I tried to control it and and put a chokehold on it and put my stamp on it, it failed miserably. But when I turned it over to them. Uh, huge success. Well, you know, it's we were talking um, beforehand about uh, the fact I'm living in Spain right now. The company's based in Toronto. Um, one of the biggest things that came about from that change is that I, I didn't even realize that I was, you know, sort of sticking my fingers into everything. But that six hour uh, and, you know, 3000 mile uh, separation between me and the rest of the team uh, forced that into being. And, and to your point, I mean, we're up, you know, we're up like 300 percent over last year since I left. Uh, it makes me doubt myself. <laughs> but, the, but the team is so fully stepped into their roles. I mean, they were they were capable of it since day one. I was just, you know, with best intentions getting in the way. Right. And uh, I think that's part of it, too, is that, you know, we can sometimes get this thing about the the micromanaging boss is the evil boss. I don't think that's necessarily always the case. I think sometimes that the passion that we have for the work or the deliverable can can get us in the way of uh, best results. Um, Well said. You know, one of my great um, best mentors in the Marine Corps and an officer I would just follow literally through the gates of hell with. You know, and I asked him, I said, well, what, is it, what does it take when you, whenever you take a new position? What's the best advice you can give me on leadership? You know, and I was hungry. I wanted to, to, to eat it all up. And he was just like, 
best thing I can tell you is make yourself useless. Make yourself absolutely useless. And you hear that and you think, well, that's kind of silly. What's my point? I'm going to work myself out of a job. He says, no, you don't realize how much work it is to make yourself useless. And and, um, I I love that. And there's, there's so much in that, you know, uh, buried in that statement, you know, the ideas of trust that you were talking about and, uh, and letting go and, and getting that vision out there and the outcomes and focusing on that. I mean, that's what Simon Sinek's book is all about, you know, start with why. I mean, all of that is kind of, you know, that it's all about intent. You know, commander's intent is what we call it in the Marine Corps. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, as you said earlier, it's not, this is not new, right? This no, is not, I'm, no, no. I'm coming to mind here with sort of the one minute manager, the, uh, the Blanchard book from what, probably the early nineties, I guess. Yep. Um, and, and it's the same sort of thing, right? It's, you know, the, the, the fable in the story is about this manager who just seems to have all the time in the world for these one minute conversations. And that it's a tremendous amount of work to create that, you know, sort of in, Environment. I think, you know, just to, to build on that for a second, this is one of the biggest challenges I see for the busy manager who wants to be that strong leader, um, but they're slammed and they've got so much going on that it gets worse before it gets easier from a time management standpoint. Because if you're trying to manage as you have done, as well as implement those changes, there will be a period of you doing both before it gets good. And I think that pushing through that is something that we just need to embrace and be comfortable with is to say, if I want to get into that position of, you know, exactly as you said, that leader that you would follow through the gates of hell. I mean, that's, that's powerful, right? And I think anybody in a leadership role would want to be that. Um, But we need to appreciate that if we're not there today, it's going to take more effort, not less to get to that position first. Yeah, I'm curious, what what are your thoughts on charisma and charismatic leaders? I mean, a lot of people that I've worked and I've worked through this myself, I thought I always had to be this larger than life John Wayne figure. But uh, it's really for me anyway, it's not so much about charisma. What are your thoughts? I think two fantastic thought leaders who have really tackled that head on are uh, Susan Cain in her book, Quiet, Mm. uh, The Power of Introverts in the World That Can't Stop Talking. Um, and also Jim Collins in, uh, well, pretty much every book that he's done, but, you know, his, his uh, perspective of level five leadership. Um, I think in both cases, Susan Cain's in particular, there's a really neat thought in there um, that an extroverted leader, that charismatic sort of over the top, follow me sort of person um, is really good at leading introverts um, or not introverts, but people that will take direction well from them. Um, but an introverted leader, someone who will let people give people time to figure it out on their own are actually more effective 21st century leaders more effective because again coming back to that mentality of even if you are that superhero you can't do the job of 10 people if you have 10 people on your team you just can't right well and so the introverted leader is actually you know the meek shall inherit the earth sort of thing and starting to take hold in a leadership position in uh, 21st century yeah when you talk about introversion or even vulnerability i think a lot of times you know equate that with weakness but man there's great strength and vulnerability i mean you got to at the same time, you got to be confident. I mean, I'm not sitting there and go up there and, and um, uh, I, I guess I get that from aviation because you think about when things are bad in, in the cockpit, you have to compartmentalize and you have to do a little bit of acting. You have to force yourself not to react to your feelings or your emotions. You have to kind of play a part. And I think that's that's not necessarily inauthentic. And so when I say be vulnerable, don't you know, don't let your emotions drive your behavior, I guess, or your feelings drive your behavior. And so, but there is great strength. And when I say vulnerability, it's like, man, we're in quite of a pickle. I think there's great strength to be vulnerable. Like, you know, I'm a little nervous here. I'm not sure what we need to do next. What are your thoughts? You know, but at the same time, coupled it with a, a, a kind of a quiet confidence saying, I don't know how we're going to get through this, but I just know we're going to get through it. You know, yep. at some point we're going to get through it. 
No, I, I hugely agree. I mean, the, the, and I sort of alluded to this earlier, but I mean, the, the image that I have in my head is a football field. Um, and I, I try to stay away from sports analogies, but as you and I were talking about off camera, there's uh, there's a great, uh, great power in them. Right. Um, and it's that having crystal clarity, clarity on where that goal line is and, and hundred percent confidence that we will get to that goal line and being okay with the fact that you don't know the exact route to take to get there. Exactly. Right? Um, and I think that, you know, just to sort of echo what, what you were saying, I think that's, that's where that vulnerability combined with the rock solid belief, um, becomes incredibly powerful. Absolutely. Well, gosh, uh, Chris, uh, I could, like you said, you were right when we started this interview, you said we could, you got the sense that we could probably talk for a couple hours and there's no doubt about that. Uh, I, I would, uh, I'm glad that I've met you. I'm glad Alex from leadership dojo introduced us to each other. And, uh, I look forward to, uh, collaborating, communicating, and maybe doing this again sometime in the future if you're up for it. Part two sounds fabulous. I look forward to it. Awesome. How can people get in touch with you and find you? Uh, yeah, actionablebooks.com uh, is the best route. And then we're also everywhere. I mean, if you Google actionable books, we're on every pretty much social media channel out there. Um, if I'm not monitoring it actively, uh, it gets filtered up to me and I'm, I'm pretty quick to respond. Or, I mean, people can reach out direct to Chris, C-H-R-I-S, at actionablebooks.com. Love to hear from you. Chris, you're the real deal. I love your website. I love the concept. I'm a, I, I've, I've signed up. I'm, I can already see myself being a coach myself, uh, finding fresh content and summaries that will help me. Uh, generate some ideas to to work with my masterminds. I do masterminds on the weekend, and we're already this group. I'm already looking for a new book to do, and uh, this is going to be my source, brother. So uh, uh, thanks for all your work, and thanks for coming on the show. You too, man. You're doing great stuff. This is uh, a lot of fun. All right, talk to you. Cheers. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.